I am uh, so glad to be with you all today, and I want you all to know you are the best-looking crowd I've had today, and I hope the first service doesn't watch what I just said, right? Yeah, I'm so so glad to to be with you all uh, this morning. Over the last several weeks, we have been talking about stories uh, and taking stories from the Old Testament, stories that we probably heard as children, stories that we went over in Sunday school, and we've been telling the adult version of those stories uh, on Sunday mornings. And today what I want to do is I want to look into the book of Genesis, or what some people consider the book of beginnings uh, for the first time. And I believe a lot of times we hear this book from a historical perspective, understanding how our story started, how our story began. And, uh, but if we only hear it like that, I think we begin to hear it in a very limited way because the Bible is so much more than just a book of history or a book of psychology. It's so much more than that. It's really meant to unfold and to unravel a glimpse of God's plan for humanity, God's plan for me, and God's plan for you. And the story that I'm going to share with you today has a lot of firsts in it. Like, you see the very first human birth, uh, the births of Cain and Abel, and that's the story that we're going to cover and go over today. You have the first family, uh, you have the first family squabble, and you see the first record of worship, you see the first mention of the word sin, we get to see the very first murder take place in the book of Genesis. So we're not just looking at strangers that we don't know uh, with a curiosity of what's going on in their lives. We're not peeking into the window of another family's life trying to understand what's going on in, in our neighbor's yard, if you want to look at it like that. No, what we're doing is we're looking down through time at our own roots understanding how we got here and what God's going to do through us, through humanity. So when we read it in that context, I believe it becomes very relevant for where we are today. And uh, if you read it any other way, it's just purely educational. So let's jump into the text in Genesis chapter 4. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And I want you to remember that part, what Eve said, because we're going to come back to it a little later. And it goes on to say, later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. So if we're going to understand anything about chapter four, we have to remember that we just experienced the great fall of humanity in chapter three. And Pastor Trevor did an excellent job a couple of weeks ago, walking us through the story, basically, of Adam and Eve. We learned that through, uh, through that, the greatest seduction humanity has ever seen. The enemy, the serpent, seduced humanity out of its place because he fell from power. And I want you to remember, even Jesus said, I saw him fall. I saw Satan fall like lightning uh, from heaven. He was looking for something to run. He came to earth to where God had already given man dominion. And he said, you know what? I think I can steal your power. And I want you to know and understand today that Satan is still after your power right here today. So he tricks Eve in the garden and he gets her to partake of the one thing that God told them that they were not to touch, that they were not to, it did it in the first service. It's my beard. Yeah. Pastor Trevor's gonna be like, you gotta shave that thing off. Making too much noise. Sorry about that. Happened in the first service too. (laughs) But he told him, he said, listen, the only thing God told him that he didn't want them to eat and that he seduced them into doing that. Not when she ate, not when Eve ate, but when Adam ate. 
When Adam ate, all of humanity fell. All of humanity began to tumble. So Eve has to live with the fact that she'd been duped. And she understands for the first time that she is not right about everything. And you'll get that in just a minute. <laughs> God assumed responsibility for their redemption by going out and finding an innocent sacrifice. And he kills that sacrifice. And with blood, picture it in your mind, with blood running down Adam's legs, God covers his nakedness with the skins of an animal as a substitution that I, Adam might be redeemed. Now, man has been run out of the garden, the place that God designed. Can I ask you a question? Wouldn't you like for God to design your house, to design the place that you get to live in? God designed a utopia for man to live in, a garden with flowers that would grow without the tilling of the ground, vegetables and fruit hanging from every tree to eat, and, and then the leaves are for the healing of the nations. It was designed so you could be well and you could also stay well, a place where there was no sickness, there was no death, no fatigue, no disease, no diabetes, no depression, a place where there was no anxiety. And get this, it was a place where there was no such thing as the coronavirus. Come on, wouldn't you just like to be back to the garden for just, just a minute? And with flaming swords of fire, they're evicted. Everything that they own is set outside the gates. And we see the first homeless people in the Bible. We also see the first dysfunctional family. So listen to me. Stop trying to tell me how functional your family is today and show me all the beautiful pictures you've got on Instagram and tell me how you've got it all together and you don't have any problems in your life because the Bible has already revealed if the first family was dysfunctional, chances are everybody in here, whether you're in here or you're watching online, your family's dysfunctional too. People are laughing here and there because they're sitting beside the person that's the most dysfunctional. <laughs> so there's no need for you to look down your nose at me when I mess up. It might just be that mine hit Facebook and yours didn't, right? Every family, every family has its own drama. So stop wishing you could be in someone else's house because I promise you, they're crazy too. They're all messed up. Rich doesn't stop it. White doesn't stop it. Black doesn't stop it. Republican and Democrat doesn't stop it. All of us have our own brand of crazy in our home. And I promise you this, we all need Jesus and we've all got something we need to get free from. Right? Yeah. Go ahead. That's, that's the truth. You see, the craziness that starts in the fourth chapter did not really start in the fourth chapter. It dripped into the fourth chapter. It really started in chapter three because we're looking at the second generation of crazy. And that's what makes raising children so tough today because they are the next generation of your crazy. So the next time they do something and you think, man, that's crazy, you better ask yourself, did they get that crazy from me? Because it's possible, right? See, the Cain and Abel kind of crazy started with the Adam and Eve kind of crazy. And that doesn't mean you can blame everything that's going on in your life to your parents, but it does help you and I to understand that it, if we're not careful, it will not stop with you. It will not stop with us. So after all that happened, 
Eve remembers a promise God gave in Genesis 3.15 when God told the serpent this. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Eve was about to give birth. And because of the promises in Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, you've got to catch this. Cain was so much more than just a son to her. He was a potential savior. And we see that by what she says in verse 1. Remember, well, I told you to remember what she said when she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. She believes that Cain is going to straighten out the mess that happened in the garden. She believes that Cain is going to help straighten out the mess that she ultimately helped make. Then in verse 2, she has Cain's brother, Abel. These two boys grow up and they have very different occupations. Abel is, is a shepherd. He tended to flocks and to sheep and things out in the field. Cain was a farmer. He raised up crops from the ground. And we find out uh, what they do for a living in Scripture. And after we do, uh, Scripture tells us that the boys begin to bring an offering or a gift to the Lord. Cain brings some. I want you to remember that. He brings some of his crops. Abel brings the best portions of the firstborn lamb that he had, that he had raised up from a baby. And, and now this, this is very important. Any Israelite who reads this would know that the firstborn was consecrated to the Lord. And that's exactly what Abel brings when he brings his gift to God. Think about it. He's heard the story over and over and over and over again about the blood running down his father's legs as God covered his nakedness. And he values what God values. And when you value what God values, you will always find favor in your life. Both of these boys were raised to worship. They've been raised to honor God. They've been raised to respect what their parents respect. Listen, you cannot get your children to respect something that you do not respect either. They're going to respect what you respect. Let me give you an example. Have you ever wondered if somebody liked you? Have you ever wondered what they really thought about you? Let me tell you how to find out. Just watch the kids. Because if mama don't like you, I don't care how many times she smiles at you and she kind of makes you feel like she likes you. Those kids haven't learned how to be fake yet. You getting what I'm saying? In this sense, it's almost like Abel respected God and Cain didn't. Do you know what I've learned after 20 years of marriage? I've learned that Tonya would much rather me give her something that has meaning behind it, something that I gave her from my heart, something that's important than anything else. And you know, God's the same way. God isn't impressed with the way we look. God's not impressed by our performance. It's our faith. It's our faith that pleases God because without faith, you cannot please God. It's our heart. It's our heart towards him that pleases him. And just like a gift, give, a gift that I'm going to give to Tonya, it's the same way with God. A gift without love is meaningless. It means nothing. So they're worshipers. Cain brought some, remember that. He brought some of his crops. It wasn't the first fruits, so the quality of their offerings were completely different. 
And I would say the most telling difference between these two men is the motivation and heart behind what they're doing and what they're giving. And we find a little glimpse of that in Hebrews 11. It says it was by faith. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So it seems like the biggest difference between these two men is Abel had faith and Cain did not. And as they presented these gifts, these offerings to God, we see God's response in verses 4 and 5. Look at what it says. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Do you know what this means? It means that Cain copped an attitude. Cain walked around with his lips stuck out. He almost threw a tantrum almost is kind of what I can picture in my mind. And then God says this to him. He says, why are you so angry, Cain? Why is your face downcast? God basically said, Cain, why are you walking around all swole? What's wrong with you? And then God says something about himself that is very important. He said, if you do, what is right? Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? God was telling Cain, he was saying, Cain, listen, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not a respecter of persons. God wasn't uh, rejecting Cain as a man. He was pointing out something that was wrong with Cain's heart. Something was going on inside of Cain that wasn't right. God was trying to lead Cain into a better life. But, Cain didn't see it, and if he did see it, he wasn't ready to respond to it. And how often can all of us relate to that? Something's going on in our life, and God begins to talk to us about it. And we know that it's wrong, but we don't want to turn. God even sends somebody into our life to talk about something, and we still don't want to make it right. We just want to ignore it and act like it's not there. God was trying to tell Cain, if you'll go my way, if you'll stop trying to do it your way, if you'll stop making this about you, Cain, you will be happy. God was saying joy isn't found at the end of the road or the path you're walking, Cain. It's found at the end of mine. And God goes on to tell Cain that if he doesn't get a hold of himself, that sin is crouching at the door and it's eager to control him. It's eager to take over his life. It's eager to master him. And eventually, he'll be destroyed because of it. Cain could not stand the fact that the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice. God liked it. God received it. God honored it. And Abel had favor because of it. Let me ask you a question. How many of you all have ever had favor in your life? Think of, you, had, you got jobs that you weren't supposed to get, doors open for you that you could not explain. You walked in blessing that made no sense to you, but it was almost like God just kept giving and giving and giving. If you understand what I'm talking about, that's why you have haters in your life. Pastor Jonathan Bright has a sign in his office that says, haters gonna hate, right? Haters gonna hate. I mean, the, the term didn't start with our generation. 
or the, the idea. It might have started, the term might have started, we might have coined that phrase, haters going to hate, but it goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. This was nothing new. Cain hated Abel because God liked him, and there are people that will hate you just because God likes you. You don't have to do anything to them. You don't have to start a fight with them. Uh, and most of your haters have never even met you. You couldn't have done anything to them because you don't even know them. So let me, can I, how are you going to hate me if you don't even know me? This is what I'd like to say. How about, the, how about you give me a chance to earn your hate today? And I might just hook you up with it. You know what I mean? That's how I feel sometimes. Like you find out somebody doesn't like you and you're like, I don't even know that person. I've never even, how do they not like me? Can I be real? It seems so unfair to be hated just because you're loved. Cain ultimately hated Abel because of his faith. He couldn't stand that Abel had more faith than he had. And sometimes it just seems unfair to be hated just because you're loved. Some people hate you because you've got too many followers on Instagram or Facebook. It's for silly things. They hate you because your children take care of you. They hate you because they see favor on your life. You don't have to say anything wrong. You don't have to do anything wrong. And Cain hated Abel because of his faith, because of favor. And God said, what's wrong with you, Cain? You've had the same opportunity as your brother. You can still fix this. And this is what blows my mind today. The guy who, who couldn't kill a lamb is now ready to kill a man. And here's something I don't want you to miss. In Genesis chapter four and verse eight, Cain says this, he says, let's go out into the fields. One day Cain suggested to his brother, hey Abel, let's go out to the fields. It's almost like Cain wanted to get Abel out of his comfort zone. He said, hey, hey Abel, come over here into my territory for just a little bit. And you see, that's the same thing the enemy does to you and me. He, he wants to get you into his territory where he can overshadow you and he can duke you like he did Eve and he can present something that looks good to you, good to the eye, but in the end, it's gonna lead to destruction. Hey, Abel, come over into the fields. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain didn't just hate Abel. It's evident from reading this that he also hated God. You know how I know that? Because how you treat others is always reflective of how you feel about God. And that's why Jesus tied the two commandments together to love God and to love people. And that's why we take that so serious here at the church. That's our, whole, that's our statement, love God, love people, make disciples. Because how you treat other people is gonna be evident of your love for God. But Cain has so much hate inside of him, so much unchecked sin, that he takes his brother out into the field and he kills him in cold blood. Now that's jacked up. Takes his own brother out and kills him in cold blood. And Abel, Abel had God's favor. 
His own brother shed his blood and, I, and God didn't even stop it. When God shows up on the scene, he asks Cain, he says, Cain, where's your brother at? And I can imagine Cain looking back over his shoulder and I can imagine him shrugging and saying, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I plead the fifth. And then in verse 10, God says, what have you done? Cain, what have you done? And then this word right here, listen, listen, caught my attention. He said, Cain, what have you done? Listen. You see, all of us in here, we've got ears and eardrums. But the thing about us, we were created and we only hear on a a certain frequency. Like I could have brought a dog whistle in here today and I could have blew that whistle and none of you would have heard it, but every dog around would have barked. And it's the same with God. He said, listen, I hear something. He said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God said, listen, I hear the sound of injustice. Cain didn't have to say anything. Because everything that's done in darkness will always be brought to the light. That means you can cover it up, but God can hear it. You can lie about it today, but God can hear it. And God told Cain in verse 11, because you have done this thing, you are cursed with a curse. He said, Cain, you may have succeeded, but you really lost. So let me say something to every person who's ever been victimized in any kind of way. Don't ever, don't ever think that the perpetrator will get away clean. The rapist may have got away with it, but God said, I hear the sound of injustice. The abuser may have gotten away with it, but God said, I hear the sound of injustice and they will never get away clean. It's not gonna happen. They will never get away clean. They are cursed with a curse. There's no reason for you to try to get even because God said, vengeance is mine. And that's why when you do people wrong, you ought to run to them and say, I'm sorry for the things that I've done to you. A wise man will apologize. A wise man will say, I was wrong. I was foolish. I was childish. I'm so sorry for the things that I did to you. I don't want to spend the rest of my life with a curse. And that's when we learn this. Today's sin creates tomorrow's consequences. Today's sin creates tomorrow's consequences. This story is a perfect example of what sin does in someone's life when it goes unchecked. This is what happens when we forsake God's way and we go our own way. When we decide that our path is better than everybody else's. Our path is better than God's path. And look what happens in verse 12. God said, Cain, when you work the ground, the ground that you love, the ground that you've enjoyed for these years, It's no longer going to yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me 
from the land, the land that I love, the land that I enjoy, and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And here's the saddest part. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence. And he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden, east of the garden. Sin was waiting at the door for Cain, ready to pounce. God warned him. He said, if you don't do something about it, it's waiting to pounce. And I'm telling you the same thing. Sin is waiting at the door to pounce on you. And for most of us, we've already experienced the pain that sin can cause in our life. And we, like Cain, all of us have missed the mark. We've all allowed sin to walk straight through the door. But our story does not have to end like Cain's story ended. And here's a couple of things to make you think about. Things to do that will make sure that doesn't happen to you. And here's the first one. Don't have a worship problem. Don't have a worship problem. A lot of people worship themselves. Don't allow life to be just about you. Don't just be a consumer. I think sometimes people come into the church and they say, hey, what can the church do for me? But really our heart and our attitude, that's already showing that you've almost got the heart of Cain. Our heart ought to be more like Abel and say, hey, what can I do for the church? What area can I serve in? Where do they need help? Where can I step up and help to help further the gospel, to help bring another child to Jesus, to watch my neighbor get saved? What can I do to help? Don't just be a consumer. Give God the very best of everything that you've got, the best of yourself, the best of your energy, the best of your finances, the best of your time. Give God the very best that you've got. Here's a second one. Don't let sin produce its fruit. It's waiting by the door, ready to pounce. Don't let sin produce its fruit. We all have something in our lives that we're wrestling with. None of us are perfect. None of us have life figured out. Cain's issue was pride and anger. Pride and anger. I don't know what your issue is today. But God told Cain, Cain, don't allow that to master you. So whatever it is for you today, I'm just saying, don't let it master you. And here's the third point. Sin always brings separation. Sin will always bring separation. It'll separate us from God. It'll separate us from our family. It'll separate us from our friends. And, and we've lived long enough in this room to know that, hey, maybe you're the one that's walked through it. And if you, you've watched it separate you from friends and from family. But the scariest thing for me is that it can eventually separate you from God's presence. I believe all of us have something to sacrifice at the altar today. All of us have something that we can give up, something that we need to do. If you're sitting in here right now 
and you've never been saved, but you say, you know what? I believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. I believe the gospel. I believe that he ascended into heaven and one day he's coming back to receive the church to himself. I believe all that, but you've never made the step to ask God to save you. You've never asked Jesus, just forgive me of my sins and I'll follow you for the rest of my life. Just save me. You've never done that. And today is the day that you need to make that. That's what you need to lay at the altar today. Self. Maybe you're here and you're saved. You've been walking with God for years and years and years. But you've drifted this way or you've drifted that way. Things have happened with friends and family. There's things going on. I'm just going to say to you, just own your mistakes. If Cain would have just owned his mistakes, things could have turned out different. But because of pride and anger, he eventually was banished from the presence of God. So here's what I'm going to ask. Whether you're at home or here in the room, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute. With nobody looking around. Maybe you're the one I was talking about that's never been saved, but you came here for a reason today. You came here, you came here to know God, but even more importantly, that God knows you. And you'd say, Sean, I'm the person. I'm the one that needs... I need to be saved. I'm not going to come get you. I'm not going to pull you out. I'm not going to call you. I just want to pray for you. If that's you, would you be brave enough with nobody looking around, would you be brave enough to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to be saved. Amen. I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. With your head bowed still. Maybe you're here and you're saved and you'd say, Sean, there's some things in my life, some mistakes I need to own, some friends I've done the wrong way, some things that just went the wrong way, and I know I need to make those right today. I need to own my mistakes. Maybe it was last night with your, your wife or your husband or one of your children, a family member, and you just say, I need to own my mistakes. I need to make it right. Would you be brave enough to raise your hand and say, that's me, Sean? Amen. Amen. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for who you are today. I thank you for each and every person sitting in this room, everybody that's watching at home, the people in Somerset, Middlesbrough, and Williamsburg. And Lord, I just ask right now for the people that raised their hands and said, today's the day I want to get saved. Lord, that you'd begin to surround them and you'd begin to fill them up. You'd begin to speak to them. I pray that you'd take their life and make it anew. Do something miraculous. Place people around them that would disciple them and move them forward. And Lord, for those of us that are saved and know you, but we've missed the mark. We've went the wrong way. We drifted from the left to the right. We've made mistakes. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the power and the strength and the ability to own our own mistakes. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for this time. And I ask you to do a great work in everybody's life. And I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. And amen.